During the Vietnam War, Army Lieutenant Daniel Dawson went missing. His Cessna 01 bird dog observation aircraft went missing on November 6, 1964, without a trace. His plane went down somewhere over the Viet Cong-controlled jungle, and there was no word of his survival. There was no word at all. When his family had received no word, Daniel's older brother, Donald, decided to sell all that he had. He left his wife and four children behind with $20, and he purchased passage for Vietnam. There he equipped himself with soldier's gear and set off into the jungles, exploring, trying to find his lost brother. As he trudged through the sweltering humidity, over exposed rice paddies, and through razor-sharp elephant grass. Donald was only lightly armed, but heavily loaded with paper leaflets that pictured his missing brother's plane, and a description in Vietnamese about a reward that would be offered for information regarding his lost brother, the pilot. Amongst leech-infested riverways, landmines, tripwires, and bamboo lines, where Viet Cong guerrilla forces lay in waiting, Donald risked his life to find his brother. It's said that throughout the whole ordeal, he was never injured. Apparently because both sides had heard about his dedication and had respected his quest. He became known as Antoi Phi Kong, the brother of the pilot, or simply the brother. Today we continue our summer sermon series called Parables. During the sermon series, we're exploring parables of the Bible. A parable is a story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual truth. Now, when Jesus would teach by using a parable, he would often take an image from everyday, ordinary life, like a sheep or a goat or a tree or a coin or a house, to illustrate a spiritual or moral lesson. But what's interesting about the way that Jesus would use parables to teach, he would use them to actually divide the crowd, to divide the people, even divide the people in their own hearts, to where they have to confront the question, am I here just for the show and for a handout of bread and maybe a cut of fish, or am I here to encounter the living God? And I hope that we are here today to encounter the living God. So I invite you to stand with me, if you're able to stand, as we read from our memory verse, from Matthew chapter 13, verse 35b. It reads, I will speak to you in parables. I will explain things hidden since the creation of the world. 
Father, we come before you today and we thank you for who you are. For the love that you provide us. For the hope that you give us when we are in despair. We thank you, God, that you are a God who seeks and saves the lost. So open up our hearts today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. If you were with us last week, we went through the first two parables of Luke chapter 15. Parables about lost sheep and lost coins. Today, what we're going to do is continue with the third and final parable of Luke chapter 15. A familiar parable about two lost sons. Now, before we step into the text today of our parable in view, I want us to be reminded of the context for why is Jesus sharing this parable in the first place. And so let's go back to Luke chapter 15, verse 1. It reads, all the tax collectors and sinners, that is the outsiders, were gathering around Jesus to listen to him. The Pharisees and legal experts, the insiders, were grumbling, saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus first addresses the grumbling of the insiders, the Pharisees and the legal experts, with a parable about a lost sheep. A lost sheep who's lost outside, lost outside the pasture, outside the church. And then he follows it up with the second parable, a parable about a lost coin, lost inside the house, inside the church. And then we come to the third and final parable, a very familiar one I'd like to call the parable of the two lost sons. But maybe you've heard it called before the parable of the prodigal son. You know, the son who's so prodigal, so rebellious and so wayward. But the word prodigal doesn't actually mean rebellious or wayward. In fact, according to Merriam-Webster's dictionary, prodigal means recklessly extravagant, having spent everything, recklessly spendthrift. As we continue with this parable today, I believe that we will encounter a character who's far more prodigal than the prodigal son. Someone who is far more recklessly spendthrift. And so let's enter in. Would you turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 15, verse 11. It says, Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. Then the father divided his estate between them. So the story begins with a short and shocking request. The younger son, he comes to the father and declares to him, doesn't ask him, simply tells him, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. Give me my share of of the inheritance. It's not shocking that he asks for the inheritance. What's shocking is that he asks for it now. 
A word about inheritance. An inheritance is something you get when someone dies. To ask for it now while the father is still living is the same thing as basically wishing him dead. The son is basically coming to the father and saying, Dad, I want your stuff, but I don't want you. As any traditional ancient Near Eastern father who was thus disrespected, dishonored, and disgraced by his son, any traditional ancient Near Eastern father would respond by pushing up his sleeves and dishing out the most sizable smackdown the ancient world had ever seen. But what's startling is that this father does nothing of that. Nothing of that sort. He simply divides his estate among his two sons. When a father died, the oldest son would receive two-thirds of the estate, and the younger son would receive one-third of the estate. And what's interesting about this word we see translated as estate in verse 12 is that it's the Greek word bios, which can be translated as life. So essentially, this younger son is asking his father to tear apart his life. And the father does so for the love of his son. He endures tremendous honor loss and the pain of rejected love. Verse 13 continues. Soon afterward, the younger son gathered everything together and took a trip to a land far away. Where? Las Vegas, Atlantic City, Tahiti, Maui? We don't know. But there he wasted his wealth through extravagant living. Where did he go? What did he do? We don't know. And it doesn't even matter because wherever he went and whatever he did, he lost everything, himself included. This younger son is lost, like the lost sheep of the first parable. Lost outside, wayward and wandering. Verses 14 through 15 continues. When he had used up his resources, a severe food shortage arose in that country, and he began to be in need. He hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed Pigs. To a Jew? Being sent into the field to feed pigs is an incredible insult because pigs are considered unclean animals. This younger son has lost everything. He's losing himself, and now he is subjected to a disgraceful role in society. Verse 16 says, he longed to eat his fill from what the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food, but I'm starving to death. I will get up and go to my father and say to him. Here amongst the grunting pigs, the putrid stench, The tattooing flies. The younger son sobers up to his senses. Here in the pigsty, the younger son 
prepares his speech. Dad, I'm so sorry. No, no, that that won't work. That won't cut it. I've disrespected them. I've disgraced my whole entire family. I've turned my back on my dad and my whole community. They won't just accept me back. Father. Yeah, that's good. Father. I have sinned. Yeah, no kidding. Against heaven and against you. Okay. But it needs something more, something else. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Take me back as one of your hired hands. Verse 20 continues. So he got up and went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion. The Greek verb is splachnizomai. It means to be moved in the inward parts, to be moved in the heart, the lungs, the liver, the kidneys, to be moved deep down like a bowel movement with compassion. This father is moved so much internally, so intensely, that he actually moves. His father ran to him, hugged him, and kissed him. Let's talk about old men running. As a general rule, distinguish, this might help you justify your case in not running if you are an elderly, golden-eared type of man. But as a general rule, distinguished ancient Near Eastern fathers didn't run. Children might run, women might run, young men might run, but not the father, not the pillar of the community. Not the owner of a great estate. He would not pick up his robes, bare his legs, and run like some boy. But this father does. Because this father is reckless. He picks up his robes, runs like a boy, grabs his son, falls upon him around his throat like a necklace, and showers him in his tears and plants a whole lot of kisses all over him. It's a little bit sappy. It's a lot awkward. Especially for the son who's trying to wrangle himself away from his father and prepare or deliver his prepared speech. He says, Father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, wait a second, I haven't finished my prepared speech, my commit to memory confession. 
The father completely interrupts, ignores, and completely contradicts everything that the young son had to say. The father said to his servants, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him. The best robe would have been the father's own robe. Put a ring on his finger. That's a sign of affection and authority. And sandals on his feet. This is an indication he's barefoot. Maybe this might mean he was so impoverished that he didn't have footwear. He didn't have sandals. Or this also might be an indication of his enslavement. In the ancient world, slaves were forced to go barefoot. This father is reckless. Let's just take a look at how reckless this father proves to be. He gives his son symbols of honor, a robe, authority, a ring, and freedom, sandals. He doesn't merely just welcome him back or take him on as a servant. He showers him with all of these blessings. He restores his son to the family, his nakedness, his poverty, And his rags are covered by the father's own robe of honor. The father's welcome to the repentant son was literally reckless, without reckon. He refused to reckon or count his sin against him or demand repayment. And even more, verse 23, he says, Fetch the fattened calf and slaughter it. In the ancient world... In this socio-historical context, you would not be eating meat with every meal. Imagine eating tacos probably like 99% of the time without meat. Some of you guys do that right now. Let's just pray for them real quick. No pastor, no carne asada, no chicken. It's like a salad with a tortilla. My wife got a sandwich the other night. Um, I'll confess, we bring food into the movies that's not purchased (laughs) at the movie theater. Sorry. I probably, I'm confessing that. We probably shouldn't do that. But she got Jimmy John's. We we were like rushing to to the movie. We saw Finding Dory, which was phenomenal. We were talking, this is related because we're talking about finding a lost son. It's kind of backwards. She's trying to find her family. Um. But she brings in, like, sandwiches from Jimmy John's, and uh, hers doesn't have bread. And I'm like, that's not a sandwich. It's wrapped in lettuce. That's not a sandwich. Anyways, uh, fattened calf and slaughter it. Meat in the ancient world, you wouldn't have meat with every single meal. It was actually a, a very expensive delicacy if you were to have meat at your meal. And there's no meat more expensive than the fattened calf. We must celebrate with feasting because this son of mine was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. When what was lost is finally found, it's right to rejoice. This son, when he comes home, Everything that he had been searching for in the big wide world does not compare to what he found when he received as he came home. He received forgiveness, love, acceptance, a future, clothing, a robe, sandals. When we come home to God, we learn that 
all the things that we've been searching for, all the things that we've been longing for, they're actually found in God. But we've been searching the whole wide world for all of these things apart from God. But when we finally come to our senses and come home, we realize everything I've ever wanted is found in God. So if you're searching today, if you're wandering today, it's time to come home. Because there's nothing that will quench you, satisfy you, or fulfill you like God. Verse 25 continues. Now his older son was in the field. Coming in from the field, he approached the house and heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what was going on. The servant replied, Your brother has arrived and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he received his son back safe and sound. Then the older son was furious and didn't want to enter in, but his father came out and begged him. When what was lost is finally found, it's right to rejoice. But this older son refuses to rejoice. He refuses to go in. He's so furious that his younger brother has returned and has been reinstated into the family by his father. He refuses to rejoice. He refuses to come in. And by refusing to come in, And not going to the party, he deeply disrespects and dishonors his father. His father who comes out and begs him to come in. He answered his father, look, notice. He doesn't answer his father, esteemed father, or father, or even sir. Simply look. I've served you all these years and I never disobeyed your instruction. Yet you've never given me as much as a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. It's not fair. You couldn't even hook it up with a little goat. I'm not asking for the fattened calf. But when this son of yours, notice the displacement, not my brother, this son of yours. When he returned, after gobbling up your estate on prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. The younger son was lost outside like the sheep, the lost sheep of the first parable, who was lost outside, wayward and wandering. His flight from the father is crashingly obvious. He leaves the father physically, relationally, and morally. The older son is lost inside, like the coin in the second parable. Lost inside the house, inside the church, wayward and wandering. His flight from the father is layered in deceptive, camouflaged sentiment. But his true colors are revealed by the anger that he shows when his brother returns and is reinstated into the family by his father. Why is this older 
son so angry? Well, first it has to do with control. He's been keeping all the rules diligently. So he feels like he's got the right to tell his father how all of the things should be dispersed. All of the robes and rings and sandals and livestock. It should be his call since he's been following all the rules diligently. And he lives a moral life. But his goal is to get leverage over his father, to control his father, to put his father in an IOU position. Does that sound like your relationship with God? Do you believe that God ought to bless you and that God ought to help you because you've worked so hard to obey him? And you've worked so hard to be a good person. If so, you might be trying to control God by your obedience. Thinking, if I'm really, really good, if I behave really well, then maybe God will give me the things I really want. Money, power, esteem, popularity. But the question becomes... Do I want God? Do I want God or just the stuff that God could give me? Do I want God or just the stuff he can give me? Maybe another question is, well, would I want to go to a Jesusless heaven? Would I want to go to heaven if Jesus wasn't there? But isn't that what makes heaven heaven because God is there? I'm learning in my life to understand what it means to want God simply for the sake of God. To love God simply for the sake of loving God because he's God. Not because of anything he can give me or do, but just because he's God. Trying to make it my goal just to please God. To make his happiness my goal. And I know that that's accomplished when we love God and we love people. But why is this older son so upset? Well, the father's happiness was never his goal. The older son had the opportunity to truly delight his father and enter into the feast. But his resentful refusal shows that his father's happiness... It was never his goal. Disrespected, dishonored, disgraced, you would expect a traditional ancient Near Eastern father to respond by pushing up his sleeves, dishing out the most sizable smackdown the ancient world had ever seen. But the response of the father is striking here. It's striking in its tenderness. Then the father said, Son, You are always with me. And everything I have is yours. That's the literal truth. Every single penny belonged to the older son. It was given by the father to the oldest son. Remember, the the estate was split. The inheritance was given. The older son got his two-thirds. The younger son got his one-third. And he blew it. Why is the older son so angry? The cost. The cost of it all. The younger son's restoration was free to him, but an enormous cost 
to the older son. The father couldn't just forgive the younger son. Somebody had to pay. The father couldn't reinstate him except at the expense of the older son. There was no other way. But it had to be done. We had to celebrate, verse 32 says, and be glad because this brother of yours, notice, the father doesn't buy any of that displacement. He reminds the older son of who his brother is. This brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And that's how the story ends. Will the brothers be reconciled? Will the family be united in love? We don't know. We're left there to consider. We're left there on the doorstep with the insider Pharisees and legal experts and also with the outsider tax collectors and sinners. We're left there at the doorstep with the older son who's left there considering But I'll tell you what, if this older son refuses to come in and refuses to rejoice, then he's a lousy brother. I want to invite the band back up as we close things up today. If this older son refuses to come in and refuses to rejoice, he's a lousy brother. He's not like... Donald, Donald Dawson at all. Donald, the brother who went looking for his lost younger brother, he emerged from the jungle, clinging to his brother's flight vest nine months later. He emerged from the jungle And reported that his reckless and obsessive search had ended. He had spent four of the nine months as a Viet Cong prisoner. There he was told that his brother had died. That his brother had died and they gave him his flight vest. And told him to go home. He never saw the body of his brother. Never saw the grave. But was assured by the Viet Cong. That his brother. Army Lieutenant. Daniel Dawson. Had died. His recklessly spinthrift search was over. You may think this is absolutely crazy, a reckless search, but it's something that Donald felt like he had to do. He felt like it was his duty to his brother. Luke chapter 15 presents three parables back to back to back, all interrelated. The first is about a lost sheep. The shepherd goes out and searches until he finds the lost sheep. The second parable is about a lost coin. A woman lights a lamp, sweeps the whole house until she finds the lost coin. And the third is the parable of the two lost sons, which we've been exploring. 
the similarities are, are very obvious. Something is lost, something is found, and then there's rejoicing. But there's something strikingly different between the third and the first two parables. In the first two parables, someone goes out to search. And they go out to search and let nothing stop them. And by the time we come to the third parable, I think this is absolutely intentional that Jesus puts these three parables so closely connected together for this specific purpose. That when we come to the third parable, we are fully prepared and expect that someone will go out and search. We're prompted to ask the question, well, who should go out? Who should go and search for the lost son? And the obvious answer is, The older brother. The older brother should have gone to the father and said, Father, I know my brother has made a mess of things. But you know what? I will go out and I will find him and I will bring him home. And I know that the cost is going to be tremendous. It's going to cost me maybe my whole inheritance. But I will go out and find my brother and bring him home. Who will go out? Who will search? should have been the older son, but he's flawed. And I believe that Jesus includes this flawed character in the story for the very purpose of us yearning for a true older brother. The beauty of it is we have a true older brother. The true older brother who didn't just go to a far off country to find us. But a true older brother who left heaven and came to earth to seek and to save the lost. And the cost was extreme. It cost him his very life to pay our debt on the cross. In this parable... Jesus reveals the prodigal nature of God. How God is recklessly spendthrift for you and for me. That he goes the distance and gives his one and only son so that we might live. So if you're searching today, if you're lost today, it's time to come home. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you love us enough to go the distance that we could not go. You've come from heaven to earth to show us the way to life. You've redeemed us, you've saved us by your blood. So help us, Lord, to be recklessly spendthrift with our love toward you and toward the people of this world who so desperately need it. Father, I pray that if someone in here today is searching and searching, that they can come home by by opening up their heart and accepting you they would pray, Father, come into my heart. 
that Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sin, for my debt. But you rose again and you defeated death, our greatest enemy, once and for all. Come into my heart, come into my life, and may I follow you each and every day. We thank you, Lord, for going the distance for us, for finding us and bringing us home. We love you with all our heart. In Jesus' name.